Welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. Our guest today is Andrew Nelson, curator of both sides of the lens and a doctoral student in American Studies at the University of Maryland. Thanks for joining us today, Andrew. I'm thrilled to be here. You've curated uh, the Shackelford Photograph Collection that is now a traveling exhibition for the Birmingham Public Library, Archives, and Special Mm -hmm. Collections Department. Tell us about the Shackelford Collection, what it is, its importance, and your take on the various aspects of this. The Shackelford Collection is 860-some-odd glass plate negatives, and there are also prints of these negatives that go along with them. The photographs were taken between roughly 1900 and 1935 by a family with the last name Shackelford, which was an African-American family that lived in the rural Fayette County community of Coven, out in the country about two miles west of Fayette, Alabama. Do you know any of the demographics of Fayette County at that period of time? So Fayette County is a bit north of the Black Belt. It's a hillier region, and the soil's not as good as it was in the Black Belt region. So I say that in the antebellum era, there were less large plantations, fewer slaves in Fayette County. After the Civil War, it was predominantly small farmers, not a lot of big plantations. It also had, back then, a smaller African-American population than other portions of Alabama. In my research, I've done a little bit of comparing and noticed that it's smaller than it was in other parts. What's the economic basis of the county in this era, 1900 to 1935? Like every other county in the southeast at the time, they were obsessed with cotton. Mm-hmm. So even though they didn't have super fertile soil, they were still able, in part because of fertilizers and other things like that, to grow a fair amount of cotton. Also, the timber industry, tons of lumber, sawmills, big companies, small family-run sawmills throughout Fayette, producing pulpwood, things like that. So I would say farming and timber industry, those are the two biggest. Did I hear you correctly to say pulpwood? That's right. They would cut wood, just the very beginnings of refining it and getting ready to make paper. There was a train station there in Fayette, one in Coven as well, and they would ship that wood off to other parts and then turn it into paper. So typically extractive industries in in the Piney Woods. That's right. Tell us about the Shackelford family. How is it that they had, over the course of 35 years, these 860 Mm -hmm. surviving glass plate negatives? One of the things that makes the Shackelfords so remarkable is they were interested in so many things, and they were good at so many things. So vocationally, like so many people in the region, they were first and foremost farmers. This is one of the things that I think really makes the collection important and the Shackelfords important, is they were deeply, deeply interested in various artistic endeavors. They were musicians. Geneva Shackelford, who was the matriarch of this family, made quilts, wove rugs using this huge loom that they had in the house. So maybe the best way to think about their photographs is one of many artistic pursuits that the family was interested in at the time, and it was one of many income-generating endeavors that they were engaged in. So they were farmers, they had a general store, they had a sawmill as well. They were involved in prepping this wood, but they also were commercial photographers. And people knew that you could go to the Shackelfords and get your picture made. 
or likewise, they would travel around the community to different places to take pictures of families, school groups, and so on. Now, the Sheckfords also boarded people. They That's were on right. the road between Columbus, Mississippi, and Birmingham, so they often were a way station. Does that figure into their photography at all? Absolutely. You know, they were just a couple hundred yards from the railroad tracks on well, the Columbus Road, from Columbus, Mississippi, to Birmingham, Alabama, and parts beyond. And people would come, both black and white, and adhering to the social and legal codes of the day, they had a special room reserved for white travelers who would spend the night. It's almost certain that one of the many services that they offered while you were staying there is you could step outside and get your picture made. And one of the really amazing things about their photographic process is that they controlled the means production. So much of it, if not all of it, happened right there at their house. They were way into mail order, so they would get various photo supplies from the Sears catalog, places like that. And they had built a small dark room in their attic where they would develop these images. You said that they had mostly glass plate negatives and then prints from the glass plates. Mm -hmm. Did they have any other kinds of negatives? Did they change their camera over mm, time? That's a great question. I don't know if they changed their camera over time or not. I do know that the plates that they have at the Birmingham Public Library are glass plate negatives, most of which are 5 by 7 But there also are some that are 3 by 4 Now, I have to tell you that my background is mostly in the cultural significance of photographs, photography, visual culture. So I'm not experts on photographic processes, cameras, things like that. Right. I think their camera took pictures using both sizes of negatives the way they printed the mm -hmm. photographs. Can you sure. tell us how that happened? All of the prints that I've seen are contact prints. They had a contact frame, which really looks a lot like a picture frame. And they would take these 5 by 7 negatives, put it in the frame, then put the photosensitive paper in this frame, expose it using sunlight, and make the print that way. So it was cabinet card size or postcard size? Exactly. You're dead on. So they were either making cabinet cards where they would take the 5x7 print and glue it to the card itself, or more often than not, it was these real photo postcards that were wildly popular in the United States in the early 20th century. This is high tech back then, and you could go see the Shackelfords and get this small, portable representation of yourself, your family, your livelihood that can be taken places, mailed places, and so on and so forth. You were saying in a conversation mm -hmm. before the interview how many of these images seem to be out and about, mm -hmm. uh, in particular the P.B. Smith house. One of the things that fascinates me about this collection is not just in Fayette County, but throughout Alabama and beyond, there are these prints, these postcards, and I've seen a few of them, that were taken and made by the Shackelfords, and the people just don't happen to know. The photograph that you just mentioned, the P.B. Smith house, is the family of Preston and Sarah Smith posing in front of their dog trot's house sometime, I think, around 1910. A year or two after that particular photograph was taken, they had a son named Guthrie Smith, who went on to become the mayor of Fayette, Alabama, for 40 years. And he's beloved in Fayette. You know, there's a park named after him and all kinds of things. They've had that photograph at the Fayette Community Center in their art museum for a long time, but it wasn't until recently, while doing all this research on the Shackelford photographs, that we realized that that was taken by the Shackelford. How has Fayette responded to your work on exposing the Shackelford photographs to a wider yeah. You know, I can't speak for them, but I will say that in my experience, it has been overwhelmingly positive. This started out and still is part of my dissertation. When I first started working on my dissertation, the project was completely different, and it was about something else. In my mind, it was an archival project. It was something that I would be doing in a series of archives. 
because of my experience with the Shackelford photographs, I've had the real pleasure of traveling around the state and showing people from all different walks of life these photographs. And it has made the entire experience just so much more enjoyable for me, and I'm taking the long way around to your question, but people have really responded in a positive way to these photographs because it's where they grew up. And every once in a while, it's one of their family members. So they've been excited to see these images. The exhibition was actually in Fayette not too long ago. It was great to have it there. People seemed to really like it. And a few people came there and identified their family members in the photograph. So not only a real connection was made, but you found out more information than what you had about the people in these photographs. That's the story of this whole experience. It literally started out with a few photographs that I just knew were taken in Fayette County, Alabama. To me, the many things that I've learned during this experience, beyond the Shackelford's amazing story and all the remarkable things that they did, is it's almost been methodological. So what happens if, as a historian, rather than doing whatever you're going to do and then finding a couple of pictures to illustrate it, you start with a picture and try to step through that and see where it takes you. Now, granted, my experience wouldn't have been what it is without a lot of luck and without a lot of people in the state being extremely kind and generous with their time. But it's certainly been a great experience on that front. Explain what happens when you do exactly what you described. And instead of starting with the text and finding pictures mm -hmm. to illustrate that you walk through the mm -hmm. picture, what have you discovered? To say a little bit more about that, part of the reason that I got interested in doing that in the first place is still today the historical record and what we have in various archives and other places is still a little incomplete as far as certain communities that may be overlooked. And so I sort of saw this as a way to get to these hidden history stories that haven't been told. In my experience with the Shackelford images, it was this one picture of the brass band and Coven in front of the Shackelford home. I really didn't expect my research on this picture to go anywhere. And I was ready to use it in my dissertation and write about it, not knowing who took it or who those people were. But what I learned from the experience is that if you just take a little bit of time, you could get lucky and learn a lot more than you ever thought you would about the image. To give you some background of how all of that played out for me, I was living in D.C. in school at University of Maryland. I had come home for spring break and was looking for photographs of musicians in the early 20th century in Alabama. On that trip, I had lunch with Kevin Nutt and Joey Brackner. Kevin is a folklorist and folk music guy at the Alabama Department of Archives and History. Joey is the director of the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture, both all-around great guys and real assets to folk life and history of the state. Joey, at that lunch, the first time I'd ever met either one of them, knew what my project was about. And he said, 20 years ago, at the Bessemer Flea Market, I bought a collection of glass negatives that were taken in Fayette County, Alabama. They had the kinds of pictures that you're looking for. So the next day, I went to the Birmingham Public Library archives, looked at the collection that Joey had donated. When I looked at the collection, and I'm looking at these pictures, one after another after another. And it's really hard to articulate what that experience was like. But when you do that with this collection, all 860-some-odd images, I was transported back in time. I felt like I had a real sense of this community and what life was like there. These pictures struck me as being special. I got way into this collection, obsessed with it. I looked at the collection again and again. When I looked at it multiple times, I started to see in the background bits and pieces of what I thought was the same house. I developed this pretty reasonable theory that the photographers lived in this house. It was an old wood frame house, so I knew it probably isn't there. But I thought, if I can find this house or find out who lived in this house, then I can find out who these photographers were. 
one day in the summer, I drove out to Fayette, Alabama. It was my first time there. I've spent a lot of time there since and love it there. At the Fayette County Library, I found a document from the Alabama Historical Inventory that had a picture of what I thought was this house. Couldn't believe it, but it had a little hand-drawn map of where this house used to be. I drove out to the cross-section of these county roads on this map. And keep in mind, at this time, I just knew that the pictures were taken in Fayette County. I got out of my car and I just stood there. I had zero plan other than to try not to trespass. And at this point, I was right by the Shackleford house. I didn't know it, but where it used to be. A postal carrier came by and she said, can I help you? So I showed her this picture of this band. So, you know, I'm trying to find this house. So she says, follow me. I follow her. She takes me down the road and points down the driveway and says, go to that house. He's lived here longer than anyone. If anybody knows anything about it, it's him. I knock on the door and a man answers and I show him this picture of this man and tell him what I'm doing and he doesn't hesitate. He says, that's the Shackleford house. I remember that place. He says, they still live on that road. Describe this brick house and said, if you go there, they can tell you more. I go back to the place that he described. I ring the doorbell. At first, a woman in her 80s answers the door and then also a woman who I now know as Annie Shackleford, my good friend, comes to the door. Annie is a retired nurse who lives in Fayette and a historian in her own right. She's deeply invested in her community and the history of her community. So I show her this picture of the brass band, and she looks at it for a minute and points to the tuba player, and she says, that's my grandfather. I grew up in this house. So of course, I'm flabbergasted at this point. We talked that day about her family history. Once I was able to figure out who the photographers were, then everything opened up from there. I started going back to Fayette more and more during this research, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Everything leading up to this exhibition, because of a little bit of luck, but also the generosity of a lot of people, from Joey Brackner to Annie Shackelford, her sister Alice Shackelford-Smith, their cousin Marvin Shackelford, you know, have been just incredibly kind and generous and have made all of this possible. You were talking about the photographers. Can you explain a little more about who in the family you think were the photographers, the, the difference in the generations, things like that? There were two generations who lived in the same spot in Fayette County. Mitch and Geneva Shackelford were the patriarch and matriarch of this family. Around 1910, they built their five-room farmhouse, which is the house I was talking about that's on the road from Columbus to Birmingham. They had five children who grew into adulthood. And the children lived there in the house for a long time, and then they lived in their own homes that were right by it. I do think that Mitch and or Geneva took some of the photographs, but I think that most of the photographs were taken by a combination of their four sons and their one daughter, in part because of my best guess to the dates of the images. I'm not sure that they took the photographs before they lived in that house because they had the darkroom in the house. I'd be fascinated to find out if they were using another darkroom before that. You've said earlier that your interest is the cultural significance mm. of the information in the photographs. Mm. I'm interested in it in two respects. On the one hand, I'm interested in the Shackleford's process as photographers and as artists. But I'm more interested in the people being photographed because these photographs resembled these performative moments, moments where people can make deliberate choices right before the picture is taken. I'm interested in the way that the Shackleford's camera allowed these people in rural Alabama to represent themselves and make these preserved representations of themselves. And you see throughout the collection the use of a lot of different objects, whether it's a car, whether it's a banjo, whether it's a rifle, and so different ways that people can say things that they want to about themselves, about their livelihood, and about their families. That's one of the really significant things about the collection.
We still don't know enough about African-American photographers in that time period, but especially African-American photographers living out in the country. At that time, the camera enabled African-Americans across the country to create representations of themselves that often pushed against these racist caricatures that were so common on postcards, sheet music covers, and so forth. The camera allowed people to tell their own stories. This was happening everywhere. In the Shackelfords, you just have one family who is allowing rural black Southerners to represent themselves in the midst of everything else that was going on. And that strikes me as being a deeply meaningful service, especially at the time period. We're talking the heart of the Jim Crow era. It's a lot of stereotypes we still see today were born in these images, and they supported everything that made the Jim Crow era what it was. It's a subtle way that people could tell their own stories and represent themselves. So you're seeing some consistencies in how people are representing themselves. Would you speak to what you are seeing? I'd say a lot of the consistencies that I've seen in the collection has to do with the poses. Certain poses repeated over and over. I think the Shackfords were looking at trade magazine, things like that, not to mention other pictures, like all photographers being informed by other photographs. So one consistency I see, family portrait or an individual portrait of pose would be used over and over again. Another consistency that I see, which is typical of the time period, is that their picture made that day was a big event. It wasn't a picture growing up on Facebook. This represented a significant moment, whether it was in their pose, the way people carry themselves or whatnot, then of course also the way they dressed. If you are into fashion in the first three decades of the 20th century, this is the collection for you. The clothes are amazing. Having your picture taken at this time was a really important chance to preserve something about yourself, about your life, and about your family. Do you see people acting to contrive an image of themselves? And if so, what might that mean? The short answer is yes. It goes back to the performative aspect of it. I see all of these as expressions of individual agency. Sometimes it can be a really simple example. There is a photograph of a woman standing alone with trees behind her, and you can tell that she's on the edge of a dirt path. She's dressed in the fashions of the day. Very simple, straightforward image. When you put that image in the context of this broad visual discourse aimed at supporting white supremacy and denigrating African Americans, then it becomes a very powerful image. You see in the background trees, you see she's on the side of the road, so you know immediately she's in the country. But at the same time, just with her dress and her pose, you see that she is an active participant in a burgeoning national consumer culture in the fashions of the day, which speaks against all of these stereotypes that are visually being spread that show that not just African-Americans, but African-American Southerners in rural areas are backwards, out of touch, culturally frozen in the antebellum era. One image can have an unbelievable ability to push against those stereotypes. Mm. One thing that I think about a lot is this issue of intentionality. Do I think that that woman said, I've had it with these stereotypes, I'm going out there to stand by the side of the road and get my picture taken? I don't think that's what was going on, but it doesn't matter because what's happening is she is telling her own story. That story is very different than the dominant discourse that was being spread at the time. All of those pictures like that, taken not just in Alabama, but across the country, add up and they create contesting discourse that pushes against them. Do you see any connections with a different way of thinking than we would have because the act of taking the photograph could not be impulsive? 
the pictures in the collection seemed to represent important, well-thought-out moments. And in a lot of ways, this is because we're talking pre-snapshot. Portrait and a snapshot are two totally different things. You're talking about the photographic convention of the day. There are probably four pictures in the Shackleford collection where people are smiling. They also happen to be among my favorite. But that's before that's what you did when you were getting your picture taken. The Shackleford's as artists did something to create these pictures. The people they photographed, their individual agency played a role in creating these images. But also, when you think about it, other photographs played a role in creating these images. They were visual codes. This is what you do when you pose. There's a photograph of a young black man with a pistol and a woman on either side. If you look not just in the South and not just at pictures of African Americans, in that time period, you see young men posing with some sort of firearm. Clearly, you can take what you want from it, but it's absolutely a self-definition of some sort of masculinity. An ability to protect yourself, but then also be read as being engaged in modern technology, and so on and so forth. One simple thing can say so many different things. And I've seen other photographs where people are posing in a very, very similar way. One of the big takeaways from all of this is that people in rural Fayette County at that time period were not cut off from broader popular culture. They were in touch with things that were going on, and the Shackleford's photographs were just one small part of a broader cultural movement. Thank you very much, Andrew Nelson, for speaking with me today. And thanks for having me to uh, give the talk tonight. Looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.